I'm glad you're here today. Happy Father's Day. If you're wondering why we had a display of root beer, read what the label says, and then you're catching on. Dads, you're going to walk out with one of these fabulous bottles today. I should do a game show and let one person get all of them, but I'll let each of you get one. I saw this movie once where the main character died and became an angel. And he spent his days protecting the people he loved, intervening in their lives in big ways and in small ways. And the, the crux of the story is that, you know, did he alter time and did he alter what they were doing? And um, it's really a cute story, but it's not reality. The problem with this type of understanding of God, the afterlife, etc., is that it ultimately says, I don't really need to trust God because when I die, I'll do it myself. You know, that God needs to have guardian angels. God, God can't do it alone. And that's the problem with that idea is that many of us, that's our theology. We don't admit it. We may not say, oh no, I believe there's a guardian angel, but that's the way we live. Our theology tells us that God can't really do it on his own. It takes me intervening. It takes me helping the other people. And I'm not talking about being a kind person, being a servant. I'm not talking about that, but we really believe we're the one who's going to save somebody. And that that's the problem when we have that idea and that model, and yet I think it's so prevalent even in our speech patterns and what we really believe. So hold that idea in your head, that idea of the guardian angel. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. We're talking about sin. If you want to grab a passage in your Bible, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5 in just a little bit. But today I'm talking about the effects of sin, personal sin, global sin, generational sin. And finally, I'm going to ask the question, can we ever be free from sin? So we've got a lot to go through here, but we're going to wind and navigate and find our way through this. So first off, I, I, I could have listed many things, but I listed three effects of sin. First off, first effect of sin, it's a broken relationship with God. When you sin, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, which I talked about last week, I talked about original sin, willful sin, if you recall that, then we have sins that just because we're born, we have a sinful nature, and yet there's also sin that we choose to commit because it's easier than doing things. Life is hard and life is painful, and I want to just live how I want. And when people start telling me how I should live, then it becomes really intrusive. And that's why I always say, it's not my job to tell you how to live. It's my job to point you to the Holy Spirit who's going to convict you of how you should and shouldn't live. I'm going to love you no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter who you are. That's my job. And then if through our relationship you see or experience Jesus in a real way, and you come to this place. I've had people that wouldn't come to church because I made them feel guilty. And I was looking, I go, I didn't make you feel guilty. I didn't call you out by name and say, you're a sinner. Cole, you're a sinner. I didn't do that. That's just an example. I'm not doing it now either. Cole's all feeling bad now. You're not, you are a sinner, but I love you anyway, okay? I can't say you're not a sinner. You are. But I didn't do that to people, and yet they said, and I said, no, that's the Holy Spirit doing something in you, making you feel conviction for your sin. And if you feel conviction for your sin, and that's through the Holy Spirit, that's what God wants. He sent the Holy Spirit to be a comforter, and so that we would feel conviction for our sin, so that we would recognize our need to change. I've said it many times, God loves you exactly as you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. God sees you in your brokenness and wants to change that and help you become who he created you to become. But what we do is we say, 
I don't like this, and it's easier if I, it's easier if I just live my life this way. I get into this pattern. I get into this thing. This drug helps me cope. Alcohol helps me cope. Anger is my coping mechanism. Whatever it is, well, you don't want to see me if I'm not drinking because then I'm really angry. No, you're right, I don't. What I want to see is you dealing with the issues that led to that place that allow you to change and become who God created you to be. So the effects of sin, first is broken relationship with God. Second is broken relationship with others. Much of my sin is going to spill out and affect somebody else. If I'm abusive, I'm not. You can ask my wife. You can ask my kids. Good. I got a thumbs up. If I'm abusive, that affects her. That then also affects her relationship with other people. That affects her relationship with those around her. If I'm sinning, much of my sin ends up being directed to somebody else. If I start stealing stuff, I'm stealing from somebody else. And whether that's theft where I walk into a grocery store and shove something in my pocket, or I learn how to hack online, which I don't know how to do, but they always seem to make millions when they do that, so it seems quicker. But if I learn to do that, it's stealing, and it affects other people. So the reality is, my sin affects my relationship with God. My sin affects my relationship with others. And you can't say, well, this is a, this is a meaningless sin. It's a victimless crime. No, it isn't. Somebody is affected. Third, Effective sin is it creates in me a desire that I always have to get my way. Sin is always about selfishness. It always goes back to, I want what I want. Whatever the sin is, whatever the nature of the sin is, it comes back to, I want what I want. Because if I'm sinning and my sin affects my relationship with God and I'm sinning and my sin affects my relationship with others, then it always comes back to what makes me happy. What do I want? What do I get out of this? And when that's our mindset, when that's our picture, when that's how we live our life, the problem is it's the opposite of how God tells us to live. Because God tells us to live is to live for him. To live is to serve others. To live is to give of who I am and what I have for the betterment of those around me. Not because I'm not allowed to have nice things. You're allowed to have nice things. But God never tells us we're supposed to hoard. God never tells us, grab all you can. And the gospel of that, that says, get what you can, and if you're blessed, you're going to get more and more and more. If that were true, at the end of the day, the ultimate if-then statement is, I'm still supposed to give it away. I'm still supposed to give it away. Because God has called us to be a people who reflect who he is, and God gives good gifts. God gives It says he gives to his people. So, three effects of sin. Broken relationship with God, broken relationships with others creates a manifestation of I only do what I want to do. I only do things so that I can get what I want. Personal sin. My personal sin impacts beyond myself. I just mentioned how it affects relationships, impacts the way I view people, and it also damages both my soul and my psyche. My sin modifies and changes the way I view myself. Because if I'm sinning because I need something, it's because I don't see my worth and my value within me. And if I don't see my worth and my value within me, then I'm looking for something external to fill that. Okay? Whether it's a drug, whether it's money, whether it's power, whatever it is I'm looking for, I'm looking to fill something where I don't feel like I'm enough. 
and when I don't feel like I'm enough, and I start trying to grab and get all I can, it begins to damage my psyche. Global sin. This is, could also be community sin. This is where the church in America has messed up and done things, but there's also other groups that sin. Global sin is our culture and humanity sins creating issues. Poverty, genocide, cultural dominance. Those sins that we look and we go, oh, we shouldn't have done that 100 years ago. Sometimes it's the old hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easier to look back and go, we shouldn't do that than look at today and go, oh, I think we're repeating that. Anybody ever seen things that are repeated? And the truth is, those are global sins, but we are part of this community, and if we're not taking a stand against it, if we're not doing something, now can I do everything to stop everyone's sin? No, I cannot. But I can recognize, and I can help others see and recognize, hey, there's a problem here. I can speak out against it, and I can speak for those who have no voice and can't speak for themselves. Generational sin. Generational sin is, it's something that you look and you can draw a line and you see it over and over and over within your family. The more common ones are, if you see alcoholism. Do you know if your parents are alcoholics, that you're eight times more likely to be an alcoholic? But if you have two generations of alcoholics back to back, you are 100 times more likely to be an alcoholic. 100 times more likely. So if your parent was an alcoholic, you're eight times more likely. If your parent and your grandparent both were, you're a hundred times more likely. You know why? Because it's what you learn, and it's how you cope, and it's how you learn to cope, and it's your mechanism, and you do all these other things. All I'm saying is there's generational things that go on generation after generation, and you know how we stop them? We choose to live a different life. And you can't just ignore it. The problem with ignoring it is the pollution is still out there. When there's a big oil spill, if they just ignore it, guess what? There's still oil in the ocean. I uh, have been to Ukraine several times, and I've been to the Chernobyl Memorial Museum. And the thing about that museum is you walk in, and it's just this heavy thing. And you realize that in Chernobyl, when the meltdown happened, the government covered it up for days because it was almost May Day, and there was a huge May Day festival, and we don't want to ruin a party, so we're going to let... We're going to let radiation pour out into the air. We're going to let radiation flow down a river right towards a major city of several million people because we're going to cover this up. Here's the problem with radiation. You cannot cover up a radiation leak. You may not have known this, but when, at the point at which it happened, our government sensed that there was this really strong radiation in the air, and we thought we'd been, had a nuclear weapon launched against us. Reagan was president. There was a lot of tension at the time in America. That's how I would describe it. Cold War, and yet, is a very tense time. I remember growing up thinking, oh yeah, we're all going to die. Because that's what everybody told me. And so we literally prepared our nuclear codes because we were going to launch back. We were trying to figure out what was the incident that caused them to, like, what happened there that they decided today's the day? And that was one of the things that, he, that caused us to hesitate is we've got to figure out why they did this. And so we began to track this radiation in the air, and it actually was broken by the press before it ever came out by their own people, by their own government, saying that there had been this radiation leak. 
And if you go back and look at the photos of Chernobyl now, remember, it's a city that was about 250,000, 300,000 people that's now a ghost town. Blocks and blocks and blocks of apartment buildings sit empty. Hospitals, schools, the amusement park and the zoo. It's a zone where no one can live there any longer because they didn't deal with the problem. And we do the same thing in our life. We see there's a problem, we know there's a problem, but I'm going to figure out a way to cover it up instead of actually deal with it. Because I don't want to get to the root because the root is going to be painful. If I go all the way down there, that root canal, that emotional, spiritual root canal is really difficult. So I'm going to cover my sin up, and then when I can't cover it up enough any longer, I just find bigger and bigger and bigger things to cover it up. And my small-time addiction to this becomes a big-time addiction to something else. It becomes something that I can't control anymore, and now my life's out of control, and now I can't even hold my family and my marriage together because I could have dealt with the sin if I'd have been honest. Honest with myself, honest with God, honest with the people in my life. But when we don't deal with generational sins, we see them, we know they exist, but I'm not going to fall into that. We see them, we know they exist, but I'm not going to admit it. We do the same thing. We repeat the same patterns that our parents, grandparents, whoever it was that taught us and trained us, we repeat the same things. We don't want to admit it because we don't want to talk bad about them. We don't want to admit it because I don't want to be critical of them. I would say, you don't have to blame other people for your problems or your issues, but recognize that there's problems and issues. Recognize that in yourself, there's something wrong. In myself, there is this sin that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be addressed. And maybe, just maybe, it's bigger than you just going, oh, I shouldn't do that anymore. Maybe you need a support system, an accountability partner. So then I talk about this, and then I say, well, can we be free from sin? Well, first off, it depends on your definition of sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19 says this, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Okay, so can I be free from sin? Again, depends on how you define free. I am a new creation, and yet even in my new humanity, I'm what? Human. So I'm a new creation. I'm not judged by what I did before. I'm free from that. I don't have to walk through life feeling like this thing I did then. But I still have to change who I am so that I don't repeat those same patterns again in my new creation state. Sin does not have to control us, but we have to admit, confess, deal with, and move on. If we don't get to the root of it, if we don't find out what it was in me that caused me to do this, that led to me doing whatever actions it is, whatever sin it is, If I don't deal with that, then even in my new creation state, I'm not talking about whether or not you're going to heaven or not. Because God's looking at you and saying, I've forgiven you for that. 
But it's, I've told you before, relationship with God is not just about getting out of hell. Relationship with God is about having a fulfilled life here on earth with a God, the very God creator of the universe who wants to have relationship with you. And so if I don't deal with that sin, even in my new creation state, it's just going to creep back in and I'm going to be in the exact same place. And so even when people tell me, but I'm sanctified, that is excellent. I'm glad you are. You're still not perfect and you're still in a broken, fallen world. We will not be perfect in this life, but I don't have to allow the same sin to ensnare me and entangle me over and over and over. Paul talks about that. He says, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. And the very sin that so easily ensnares me, the same sin that so easily traps me, I keep doing over and over and over until I choose to live a different life, until I choose to repent, until I choose to change. That same sin just happens over and over and over. And I have to allow God to come in, work in me and through me, to change me into who he created me to be. Ultimately, I'm not under the control of sin, but I'm still a person who's not going to be perfect in this life. I'm new, but even in my newness, I'm still human. That idea of the guardian angel that I talked about at the beginning, the problem with that is that it's sweet and it's quaint, but it's not reality of the world we live in. There's not somebody who died who's not watching over you and making good things happen for you. Because there's nothing in theology that teaches that that's how God works. But what there is, is there's a God of the universe who desires relationship with you. And that doesn't mean everything goes perfect. Life is still hard. But what it does mean is this. In the midst of all that brokenness, we're not alone. In the midst of all of that, we still have hope. And that hope doesn't come in the fact that, well, I can, I can pull myself through this. That hope comes in the fact that he sees us through. So people oftentimes will ask, well, what is your theo- theological point of view? Are you a Calvinist? No, I'm not a Calvinist, because Calvinists would say, some are going to be saved and some are not, and I believe where it says in Scripture, Christ came for all. So that takes away. So you're an Armenian. I go, no, because I don't believe you can accidentally lose your salvation. If I stub my toe, say a curse word, get hit by a truck, then I'm going to hell because the last thing I said was, that's, what kind of a God would do that? So I can't be a hardline Calvinist. I can't be a hardline Armenian. What I can be is a centrist who looks at the Bible and understands that all of this is interpreted. Somebody wrote this out for me. And people have said, well, don't you read from the Greek? My Greek is okay. My Hebrew is shaky. <laughs> Just be honest. But what I do know is that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And as long as it's not out of alignment with what it says in the Word, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Do I want every person to make their own interpretation? Goodness, no, that's just chaos, people. <laughs> but am I afraid that, what if I have one word wrong? What if, what if this was mis, you know, misinterpreted at the time? God is still God, and his word is still word. I believe that anybody, everybody, there's nobody beyond salvation, no matter how much evil they've done, But I also believe there are people who, even when confronted with the truth of the gospel and they're standing at death's door, they're not going to repent because stubbornness and humanity doesn't go away. 
So when people say, but what about this person? I feel like my son is too far from God and he'll never come back. I'm always like, he's not too far from God. Believe me, I'm a bad, bad, bad person. God's grace is just big enough to love me anyway. Paul tells us, greatest of all sinners, chief of sinners, not just greatest, he's the chief. When it comes to being in charge of sin, Paul is. And he wrote half our New Testament. No one's beyond salvation. And yet God desires every person to have a relationship with him. Because he loves us so much. So it's not the chosen and the elect. I think we misunderstand and misinterpret those passages. But here's the beauty of it. Somebody said years ago to me, but what if you're wrong about all this? What if none of this is real? And I, the only thing I can say is, if I'm completely wrong about everything, at least I've tried to make my world a better place. But if I'm right, it's my very soul existence in eternity at stake. And that's not to condemn those who don't agree with me, but it's to say, I've got a hope that you can't possibly understand outside of this. Does God do everything I say? No, because God's not a wind-up jack-in-the-box that I just got to keep cranking, then he'll pop out and grant my wish. Bad things still happen. But the bad things that happen in a sinful world are not because God's not real. It's because we're in a sinful world that's broken. And we can choose to follow God or we can choose not to. And that's the nature of free will. And he knew that from the very beginning. I've got to deal with the sin in my life and not worry about the sin around me so much. Because if I'm dealing with the sin in my life, I'm going to be in alignment and in tune with who God is and who he created me to become. We all make choices, and the beauty is that this is available to all people. Sometimes I think we're just afraid. We're afraid to really grasp what it's saying. We're afraid that if I leave my sin behind, that identifies me. That's my cultural identification. That's my family identification. If I leave that behind, I won't be who I am because it's our safety mechanism. That thing, that's what I hold on to because it makes me feel safe and good. It's the same thing people do when they criticize the church because of something that happened when they were, somebody said something rude when they were 14, the pastor didn't talk to me, the pastor wouldn't stop talking to me, whatever it was. And they, they have this issue from church when they were 14, 21, 36, whatever, and they can't let it go. And I'm always like, you're putting too much faith in humanity and not enough faith in God. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to not be there when you need me. That's the reality. And that's why I say we build a community of faith. We have people around you. We have a prayer team. We have other people that come you know, to the hospital. We have, other, we have a team here. But even if the whole team fails you, God didn't fail you. Humans did. That, again, goes back to our very sin nature. We're going to fail because we're human. We're not God. But the beauty is we have a God who never fails us. Sin is real and alive, but we don't have to let it overcome or defeat us. We're not defeated by sin. We're freed from it. And let's walk in that freedom. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you offer salvation to every person. I thank you that you offer hope to each of us. God, I thank you that you see us 
so much and you love us so deeply and yet you won't let us stay the same. You'll push us and press us to become more of who you created us to be. May that become more and more real in our lives. In your name, amen. We're going to pray for our team that's going to Mexico. We leave on Friday. Team, come up. I'd like the council and the missions committee to come up. I asked uh, James and Mike to come on up. James and Mike are actually going to come up here too. And Don't kick those. Thanks. So, all right. We have, we have 23 people that will be in Mexico. Addie, where's Addie? She's meeting us down there. Something about flying home, seeing her husband, and then loading up her car and driving there. So um, the rest of us will leave, and we will drive down. We will leave Friday morning early. Hey, stop the yakety yakking. What's going on? People are out of control. We will leave Friday morning. We will be gone basically 10 days, and we need your prayer while we're gone. While we're there, we will do um, a couple of building projects, uh, more, not building so much, but we'll be painting, possibly doing some tile, working at a church and an orphanage. We'll be doing a day camp every day, possibly even twice on some days. We um, go out in the community and do everything from pick up trash to play soccer with the neighborhood boys. We have tracks and literature that we pass out. We do a variety of different things to be a resource to this church. And some people are like, it doesn't seem like you guys do this. Or I went on a missions trip and we won 12,000 people. That's great. I'm glad you did that. Please go again. I would encourage all of you to go. But what we do is I go and I serve a pastor. I've had a personal relationship with him since 2001. And I ask him, what do you want us to do? And he goes, why don't we do this? So we've gone and we fed the migrant workers at both a city square and at the migrant camps. We've got toys for children. We've done whatever needed to be done. Installed lights, fixed sound systems, and like I said, cleaned up trash. But our whole purpose in being there is to serve another church that year-round is serving God. So we will probably, we will serve meals to a lot of extra people and make sandwiches and do all kinds of things. So again, please be praying for us as we're there. Um, remember, these may not be your kids, but these are somebody's kids and they are scared to death for them to go, <laughs> whether you want to admit or not. So let's just have a couple of you guys pray. John, if you could pray and then um, we'll pass this over and we'll have uh, somebody on the missions committee pray as well. Lord, we just go. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you. And that's what this trip is about. I just pray for each one of these people that's attending on this trip, that's giving their time, their physical abilities, their mind, their heart, that they would enter into this trip as servants. Lord, that they would totally depend upon you, that they would listen to you, be sensitive to you, be sensitive to the Spirit. Give them wisdom in all things that they do. Thank you, Lord, for these young people that are willing to go forth. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the hearts that you've united here to join in missions to proclaim your name. 
I recall from 7,000 years before Christ, where Isaiah recorded his calling and a prophetic word for the calling of Christ. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me with his spirit to preach good tidings to the meek. Lord, I pray that that spirit would abound and would be upon each heart as they go to minister. That he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and there may be in our group those who come with hurts and they will minister one to another as they travel and as they walk together in the work of the Lord. And to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the hearts of people that are bound by sin, bound by worries, bound by hurt, and bound by the problems that have come upon them in the world. Lord, pour out your spirit and make this a time of rejoicing that this may be known not as a church that is just a gathering place, but a church that is a sending place, sending forth the word of God, the power of the spirit, and the blessings and the love that you pour up upon us each day. May we be filled with the spirit of God that we may know the love, the joy, and the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, and the goodness, that we may have faith in abundance, in meekness, and with temperance to fulfill that which you've called us to do, is to go forth and proclaim the name of our great and mighty Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Um, just so you know, I know not everybody can do a trip like this. Some physically can't. Some can't get time off work. Some can't do whatever. But you all have opportunity to participate with us. Uh, they'll be receiving an offering. This, this offering goes entirely towards the Mexico team in the trip. So if you want to contribute towards that, like I say, we're all able to do something. And so this is your opportunity. Uh, maybe you don't have kids in this age. And you go, oh, my kids are older than that. Perfect. Then help somebody else go. Maybe your kids are too young. Well, there's a good chance that maybe we'll keep doing this and they'll be in there. So again, I don't expect everybody to, you know, we're, we're all in different places in life, but I feel like we can all do something. So the ushers will be by the two back doors. Um, if you really want to get out without having to meet them, just slide out the side there. Um, <coughs> and then finally, oh, wait, there is one more thing. I've got it in my notes, but I don't have my notes. That's the danger of not having my notes. If you are a person who believes in in missions and praying for missions. Um, we have one of our missionaries, the Kingsburys, are going to be in town and fri next Friday night, the 21st, at Joel and Jan Shonsby's, who they're in the directory, and uh, you can get their address there or you can call them or email them. They're going to go, they're going to hear from the Kingsburys, they're going to be praying for missions, they'll be praying for our team that night. Um, so I would encourage you, if missions is something that stands out in your heart as something of value and something that we think is good to go and take hope to the world, then please consider going, listening to one of our missionaries that we sponsor, and praying for our team that night as well. So that's on Friday night. It's, they live right here, right by the church here. And um, so I would encourage you, if you're a person of prayer, a person of, who's interested in missions, or just somebody who's like, you know what, I'm not, I wouldn't do this all the time, but I'll go this time and pray, I would ask you to do that. Again, you can get more information by contacting them. It's like 7 p.m. start, and it's at their home, but they're in the directory, and they would love to talk to you more about that. And then finally, dads, it is Father's Day, so we got you dad's root beer. 
So there's some in the lobby, but there's also a lovely display. Grab one from the display on your way out, or grab one in the lobby. So I invite any and all dads, men, men if you'd like one, even if you're not a dad, go ahead. Women, if you're thirsty, <laughs> not gonna stop you. Um, so, no, there's no ice cream. Um, there should have been. So please, dads, know that it's a small thing, but it's one of those things where I want to say thank you for being a dad and being a part of our church. So please grab one on your way out, and um, all the leftovers will probably be at service on the lawn. So if you didn't get enough, show up for service on the lawn on July 7th. Thanks. We'll see you all again soon. Sorry. Hey, Addie. Addie, get those passed out for me.